Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Worship Him now. How great, how awesome is He! 
If you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Do you know that there is one denomination that has grown church-wise since COVID? Can you guess what that denomination is? Those weird Nazarenes, right? I remember when I first came to a Nazarene church, I was like, what the heck is a Nazarene church? I thought it was some cult like or something like that. And um, I fell in love with the doctrine and, and fell in love with this church family and been here since. Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Today we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Sermon on the Plain, which is similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just kind of preached the same sermon differently. This sermon's a little bit shorter, and, and um, we're going to be going here. But this we've said as we've been going through the series, these sermons are the best places to go to find out what Christianity looks like when it's lived out. What does Christianity look like when it's lived out? Now, remember the past sermons. This is about a new community, all right? How members of a new community are to live. When you read this, it can be shocking uh, because it does not have the same values that we've been taught in the world, right? Everything is upside down. The world values things like power and appearance, And this new kingdom that we're a part of values things like humility and meekness. Now, it's only in a community that you can live this out, and that's a gift that God has given us. He's given us brothers and sisters to help live this out, right? We don't just attend church. You're a part of this new kingdom. You're a part of this new community uh, where we encourage each other. Hebrews um, 3.13 says, we exhort each other to live this out so that our hearts do not become hardened. That's why uh, you give me permission to get on you because we're a part of this new community. You give me permission to get on you about church attendance, about reading your Bible, about giving, because we exhort, we encourage one another to live this out. And it only works in a community. So we need community. We need examples, right? If somebody around you is sacrificially giving, you're encouraged to do the same. If everybody's just out for themselves and buying things for themselves, then you're not going to be encouraged to sacrificially give, right? If, um, if, if everybody around you is paying back evil for evil, you're going to take that on, right? But if, if we have people around us that we see turning the other cheek, then we're going to be encouraged to do the same. We need people rooting for us. We need people locking roots with us, right? This does not work alone. So we need community. That's the first thing that we talked about with this uh, upside-down kingdom. We need community, right? It also doesn't work if we approach this religiously. And I, like, I, I hope you get this because I did not get this until several years ago. I had a very religious mindset when I, was, when I was looking at being a Christian, right? Um, you know, I had to make myself do this or act this certain way, right? But remember, religion is just that part of the iceberg that's above the water. It's just the part that's sticking out of the water. It just has to do with behavior. It just has to do with the outside. It's the pharisaical approach to, to God, right? But Christianity is below the water. 
It's all about changing, not our behavior, but having our hearts changed. So that in turn changes how we live, right? If our heart changes, then our actions will flow out of it. Religion says, follow the rules. Christianity says, you have to have God's favor. You have, to, you have to live out of that. You have to live out of being adopted, right? And when we live from there, that's when things really change and get exciting. All right, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? If you're able, if you're not, stay seated. But Luke 26, Luke 6, 27. But to you who are listening, can we hear that? Because some of us right now are probably not listening. We've got a million things on our minds. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who, do, who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Amen? This is the word of the Lord. If you're doing the study on John, and you're going through this, right? The first question that you want to ask yourself when you're reading through Scripture is, what do I learn about God? Well, I just learned, man, that he is kind and grateful, right? T kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So I would start off my prayer, Lord, thank you for being kind to those people because that's me, right? I'm ungrateful. I've been wicked, right? And, and then I would praise him because he's merciful, and then we're supposed to look at, well, what does this passage say about us? And this passage has a lot to say about us, right? And, I, and I'm going to start praying things like, Lord, help me to be the type of person that turns the other cheek. Because, Lord, I do not normally respond that way. My first response is to swing back. So, Lord, would you change my heart? Right? That's how, you, that's how you pray. And then you can get to the prayer request, the whole prayer request thing, the list that you have, right? Start off with those things that we talked about last week, and it'll transform your prayer life. You will never think again, prayer doesn't work, right, if you start off that way, all right? Father, we, we do thank you, Lord, for you are merciful, and we've all experienced that, and we give you praise. Father, we know that you are kind to the wicked and the ungrateful. If not, we'd all be stricken dead. Lord, we give you praise and honor for your slowness to anger. Lord, for your patience with us. 
Who, who are we that you are mindful of us? Lord, there's a lot of tough stuff in here in this passage that we read. And Father, I wish I could say that I'm great in everything here, but I'm not. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would look like this, so that we would look like you. Father, help us to not be about vengeance and repayment, Lord. Help us to not do things to only the people that can repay it. Help us to be generous. Help us to love our enemies, Lord. Help us to pray for them. Help us to represent you well. Lord, unpack your scripture. Sink it deep into our hearts and change us. Fill us, Lord, with your mercy and send us out. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So this passage deals with relationships right? Uh, Mainly relationships to people who are outside of our friends and our family, our close friendships and our family. Jesus addresses three groups of people, right? And he gives us the behavior that he expects of us towards these three groups of people. The first group of people that are against you. These are the enemies, right? People that have wronged you, people that curse you, people that mistreat you. Anyone have those type of people in their lives? A few? Jesus says, I want you to love for them. Love them. I want you to care for them. I want you to pray for them. That's the first group. And we all respond, piece of cake, right? Second group of people are the people less fortunate you than you. And we are called to, to give to everyone who asks. And if anyone takes from us, right, what belongs to us, we're, we're not to demand it back. One commentary I read said that we are to be promiscuously generous. I like that. Promiscuously generous. If somebody takes your cloak, give them your shirt too. There's a spirit of self-denial here that's represented that we have to have, right? For the sake of the kingdom of God, that spirit should be a part of how we live. That's a behavior that we're called to. Do, do we even give that a thought when we purchase something? Do we? Like when we go to buy our next car or, or next house, right, do we even give it a thought, well, am I going to be able to still be generous with my money, with my resources, if I make this purchase, right? How, how is this person going to affect my generosity? Will I not be able to be as generous if I make this purchase? Right? Well, then I'm not going to buy it. Our culture says the exact opposite, right? Get as much as you can. Buy as much as you can. Find out what your credit limit is for that house, right? And there's where you go. Maybe add a little 10% onto that because you can cut back on something else, right? What's the most I can afford so that I can get my dream house, so that I can get my dream vehicle, right? And we don't even think, how is this going to affect my generosity? Why is that? Because we're focused on me. We're focused on me, my happiness, and not on other people, right? 
It's not just the big purchases. It's more often the small purchases, right? If I buy this wired coffee every other day, that adds up fast, right? If I go out to eat this many times a week, is it going to affect my generosity? Right? Add up. Add those things up and see where you're at, right? Am I going to be able to help the less fortunate? Am I going to be able to support my church that I'm called to do or God says you're robbing me if you don't, right? Jesus wants us as a part of this new community to be orientated towards promiscuous generosity, towards unrestrained generosity, All right, last group. These are the people that are different than you. Can I get ready? Okay, because I'm going to step on your toes. Just prepare yourself for that. These are the people who are different than you that you don't care to associate with, right? It says, if you love those who love you, if you love those who can be good to you, if you love those who can repay you, he says, hey, even the sinners do that. Everybody does that, right? Who are the people then that are different than you? Who are the people that you're just fine steering clear of and not associating with those people in your life, right? For me, I've talked about this before. This is the other political party for me. Like I bring this up because I struggle in this area. And that's the only reason I bring it up. And I figure the most times I confess it, the more I'll help I'll have to it. But, um, I'm not so nice in my thought processes to the people on the other side of the political aisle than me, right? And listen, I don't think I'm wrong. I think I am fully in the right because those people on the other side, they're, they're, they're wrong. They're dead wrong, right? That's my thought process. The problem that that has, the problem that I have, the problem that I struggle with is how do I see them? The Pharisees saw the other people, the sinners, as what was wrong with Israel. I see these people as what's wrong with America, right? And does that change how I'm going to relate to them, how I'm going to interact with them? I'm going to be fine not associating with those people. Do you have those people in your life, right? Do you have those people, uh, those holiday lake snobs, right? I'm not going to say who I was thinking of. Those darn millennials. Anybody thought that, right? Those people who don't want to work. Those people who've crossed the border illegally. Am I stepping on toes? I'm not saying you're wrong about some of those thoughts, but how do you see those people? How do you treat those people? Are you willing to go after them with the gospel? Or are you just happy keeping those people on the outside, right? No matter who you are, there can be a tendency to see that group of people, those people over there, yeah, and you're, just, you're perfectly fine with just steering clear of them. No way you're going to help them. They, they don't deserve that, right? I'll help good people like me, good, hardworking people. I ain't helping no druggies. Let them OD. I've heard Christians say that. How? That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's son. Is that how we see people who are trapped in addiction? Right? God forgive us. 
for seeing those people. Jesus says, talking about himself, talking about the Father, he is kind to even the ungrateful and the wicked. Praise God, right? Thank you, Lord. And he wants us to be kind to the same people. Not just tolerate. He wants us to be people that have open hearts. That's how we're salt and light. Do you remember salt gets in there? Salt preserves. Salt looks to what is decaying in our society and gets in there. But too many Christians are good with just saying, ah, let it decay, let it rot. They're getting what they deserve. I'm going to stay over here in my church. I'm going to stay over here with my people. Let them worry about them. That's not Jesus, though. That's not a Christ follower. Who are those people in your life? So here's how you treat your enemies. Here's how you treat the people less fortunate. And here's how you treat those people. That's what Jesus talks to us about. Right? Most religions say that you're supposed to be nice to people. You're supposed to treat people with respect, right? But Jesus goes way beyond this. Way beyond this. And he says, hey, you're going to be people that love your enemies. You're going to be people that give to those that are less fortunate. You're going to be people that even share your lives with those people, those other people. Jesus just doesn't want us to treat people better. That's behavior. That's religion. That's just about the surface, what's above the water, right? No, he wants us to get to the place that our hearts are changed, that our attitudes towards people are changed. That's the key. That's below-the-surface type stuff. That's heart type stuff. How you treat people isn't the mark of Christianity. It's not. It's your attitude towards them. Because, my friends, we can all fake a smile. Right? We can all fake a smile. Hear me. Our attitude is how we know if we belong to him. Our attitude towards people. What's our attitude towards our enemy? Right? And listen, let's be honest, right? We don't have enemies like the people that this was written to. We don't. We're not occupied by some foreign nation taking advantage of us. We don't even live in the Middle East where you're not even sure if somebody's going to bust through your door and do horrible things to your spouse and daughter and then maybe kill you or take everything that you have, right? And Jesus tells these Christians, these people, to love their enemies. And my friends, they're doing a much better job than we are. And that's why the church is growing over there, and it's why the church is stagnant over here. We, we can't even cross the aisle to love somebody. How much easier do we have it than these people? So what's our response to this call? I'm not going to like say it's not easy, right? It's hard. It, it, honestly, it seems impossible. If I'm honest, do I even want to, right? Do I want to love my enemies? Do I want to turn the other cheek? No, I want to swing back, right? 
Jesus knows that this is our natural response, and he packs some things into this passage that are, are really going to help us. And in this passage, he's up front about the difficulty, but he also gives us the inner dynamic that it's going to take to be these types of people, right? And then he's going to give us some directions here. And so I want to, to add in also how we might misinterpret this, because there's some danger there, too, about what it really means to turn the other cheek. All right, so here, here's what the basic difficulty is. Three times he says, if you love only those who love you, what credit is it? Or if you only do good to those who, do, who are good to you, what credit is that? What credit is that? What does that mean, right? Jesus is actually saying, if you, if you love those who love you, what grace is in that. That's, that's the word that's translated credit. It's the New Testament word for grace. Caress. It's the New Testament word that means unmerited love. And when he says, if you only love those who love you, where's the unmerited love in that? Think about this, right? If you only love your own kind, if you only love your people, right? If you only love the people that are going to give us something, some emotional payoff, some psychological payoff, some social payoff, right? Or it's people that can help us. What's our love based on in those cases? It's what somebody can do for us. It's what we're getting out of it, right? Is that love? If we love only people that profit us something, that's not real love. We aren't loving somebody for their sake. No, a lot of times we're only loving somebody for our sake. That's our culture. Ladies, dating a guy, he'll say, yeah, right, if you love me, then you'll dot, dot, dot. Is that love? Right? It's not, but it's the same attitude that we have too often Right? That's how we approach it. Here, here's this person, and they're a slob, and they're irritating, and they're draining to be around. Right, And here's another person that's pretty fun and, and jovial and everything like that. And who do you love? We're often going to love the person that does something for us. right? And it has nothing to do with the people themselves, right? but everything to do with the payback for us, what we get out of it. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's no grace in that. There is no unmerited love in that. That's why we fall out of marriage, right? And can get a divorce after 20 years of it. We promised to always love, but then things change, right? And that my spouse isn't doing it for me. I'm just not getting what I used to get. Uh, love is more than that, though, isn't it? So he's saying, your love isn't real love, right? We need grace. And he tells us there's the reason. It's because we're in a deficit. And I hope we can get this concept, really get this concept, all right? This concept. We are in deficit. We, we fail to be able to love because we're in a love deficit. Let's pretend you're an investor like on Shark Tank. Anybody watch that? Let's say that you're a very wealthy wealthy person and you have opportunities that come in and are presented before you, right? You can look at a product and you can say, mm, I, I like this new business. I like this person, right? I think I'm going to invest in it. 
Why? Well, I, I think it'll be good for people. I think it's just going to be good for whatever. And I like this person's attitude, right? Even if I don't know if it's going to work, I'm going to take a chance on it. I'm going to do it. Okay, but what if you're an investor that you've only got room for one more investment? You're, you're financially, man, you've been taking a beating, right? You don't have a lot of money. What you're going to say is, man, what I need to do on this next investment, it's got to pay off. It's got to pay off, right? Then you're only going to put your money into something, not based on whether it's got potential, not based on whether you like the person or it's a good product or not. You're only going to put that capital into whether or not it's going to pay you back because you're in deficit. You don't have a whole lot of money to give, right? And Jesus is saying, everybody on the face of this earth is an investor just barely making it when it comes to love. And oftentimes, the only people we're willing to invest in is the person that we can get the payback on, some kind of payback from them. If we don't see the profit, I'm going to steer clear, right? Uh, Are we all in time deficit? I don't know about you, but I am in time deficit. So I'm going to look at what's the payoff time-wise. Is this person going to be somebody who's going to suck my time, right? Or is this person going to be able to help me in some way with my time? You're, you're going to watch who you spend time with, though, if you're in time deficit, right? We, we all know this. We're Americans. How much time, how much heart do you have to put into the random conversation when you meet somebody at the gas station. If you're in deficit, it's going to be a short conversation, right? But what if that's a God-ordained moment where God puts you together with that person and if you only take the time, right, you'll be able to share the good news with him. We're in deficit. When we're in deficit, we won't be Loving. So that's the difficulty. What has to change? We all have to be, we all have to experience and be filled with his unmerited love, with his grace. The good news is that he has oceans of it, right? Oceans of it. But you have to be near to him. You have to experience it, right? You have to come to him and receive it. But we're time deficit. So we don't have the time to do that. You have to be Mary, but most of us are Martha, right? We think that's where it's at. Look at all the things that I do for you, Lord. That will not fill your heart. You think being a good Christian is all the things that you do. You think that's where it's at. Well, I got to do these things. I got to, I got to tithe. I got to blah, blah, blah. I got to do this. I got to serve and and everything like that. And you're just, you're just draining your heart. And if you don't have that time where you're Mary, right? We talked about this last week. Jesus says, there's only one thing that's needed and Mary's chosen it. If you don't have that, you're going to get burnt out on Christianity, I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a Sunday school teacher. I don't care what you do in the church. If you don't have the married time, you're going to get burnt out. Everybody, man, I've faced this. I've been through this, 
right? I can tell in my life when I am not having time with God. I get irritable. Everybody ticks me off, right? You an irritable person, it's because you don't have any merry time. You don't have any time sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. You got an anger issue, it's because you don't have a quiet time. I guarantee you it. I know that personally. The, the less time I spend with God, the more it's on my own strength, the more draining it is, right? The more I look to my spouse for that. Hey, fill me up. Fill me up, church. The more I look to you for that. Hey, fill me up. Hey, you're probably looking at me for that. Guess what? I will not do it. You got to spend time at the feet of Christ to be filled up, to have that deficit filled up. Or it does not work. And you'll just be a Pharisee. You'll just be critical of everybody. And that criticism, I guarantee you, will come back. What if you don't, though? What if you spend time at his feet? End of verse 35. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Man, if you can get a hold of this verse, if you can believe it, if you can know it, if you can understand it, if you can take it into the center of your life right, this is the dynamic that will enable you to begin to move out and do the things that we just read. Do those impossible things like loving our enemies and turning the other cheek, right? You do this and you'll be able to go there. If you don't believe that verse, if you don't understand it, then everything that Jesus calls you to do will be impossible. Pure and simple, impossible. What's in there? Two things. The first thing it says is that you're children of the Most High, and we talked about this last week. You have to understand that you're adopted. You have to understand it with every part of your being that you are adopted. You are a child of God, right? In these days, if there was a wealthy person and they had no children, it was very normal for them to pick some other adult, adopt them, and then that person instantly would become their heir. All that occurs the moment of adoption. And this is the background to everything in the New Testament. You have to understand this about your relationship with God, right? We could be penniless. We could have our hearts empty. But the second that seal is put on your adoption papers, right, suddenly, even though that you haven't done anything to earn it, you can't do anything turn it suddenly automatically you're rich you're rich you're rich by god's grace and that you have that legal standing in an instant that you don't have to earn the best thing is that it gives you a new intimacy suddenly this this boss person right is no longer your boss he's your father that's who God is, right? And that means you have an opportunity for intimacy with him. You don't have to go through somebody else. You can approach your father. And that relationship, my friends, is permanent unless you divorce him. It's permanent. Nothing can take it away. You got it. And I get blown away by this, right? And I, the more I realize it, because as my relationship grows with my kids, I see it. More and more. I see things about my heavenly father. Like how my love can get stronger when my kids are screwing up for them. 
That's not how we see God, though, right? When we screw up, man, God's angry with us, wants to send the, the lightning bolts at us, right? No, he's reaching out harder. He's saying, come to me more, right? And I'll help you through this time. You just gotta, you gotta fess up. You gotta admit it. You gotta repent. You gotta come to him. We all think it's the opposite, though, when, when those things are happening. You have accessibility at any time of the day. I will not call up my boss at 2 a.m., Right, he would be pretty ticked off at me. But I can go to my father. I know my kids can come to me. I won't be upset. Right? What do you need? What's going on? I think actually that would be pretty cool. This truth of adoption is assumed here. You have to know it. You have to get it, right? We have to understand that God is our Father and we've been adopted by His grace, right? And if you really get this, that in spite of everything you are, you're rich in Him. You are unconditionally loved by your Heavenly Father. Do you understand what that means? Is that the greatest thing about you? It should be. It should be. It needs to be. Right When we get a true sense of how our Father is with us and what He does for us and what He wants to have with us, man, that's when we want to share it with everybody else because that's, that's life-changing. That's stuff that flips your life upside down and you want to share that with somebody else for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Our Father, He has been gracious to His enemies, Right? And who are those enemies? That was once me. That was once you. That was once us. And this is the dynamite that blows everything up, right? A religious person doesn't get this. They can't see this. A Christian understands that right before that they're adopted, that they're the enemy. A Christian understands that. They get that, right? Right before we were adopted, we were the enemy, and yet he still went through with the adoption. Religious and even non-religious people can't understand it because they see themselves as good people. I'm a good person. God should love me. God, I deserve God's love and everything like that, right? And a Christian understands, man, there is nothing good about me. Nothing. The only good thing about me is that what has come through God's grace. All my efforts were dirty rags, right? But grace. By God's grace, everything changed. I went from being an enemy to being a son or a daughter. If you can put this together in your mind, that's how everything in this sermon flows out, right? If you have trouble this, remember, where do you see this? Where do you see God being kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? On the cross, right? That's our image. That's our image of all this, right? On the cross, He was put there by his enemies. But you see him blessing them. On the cross, he was cursed, right? But you see him praying for people. On the cross, you see him mistreated. But he goes there willingly. Because he loves us. Right? Everything that he asks us to do in this passage, he did for us on the cross. It's an image of all that. And he did it so that we could be adopted, so that we could become his children, his heirs, right? 
Jesus doesn't say, just be like this. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't even say, be like this because I'm like this. Don't, he, he doesn't say, just follow my example, right? He says, be like this because I was like this for you. I took this road for you, right? This is what you've experienced. And he says, now that you've experienced this, go and do the same for other people, right? We've all experienced, we all know that he calls us to do this. And my friends, it's only when he fills us with oceans of unmerited love in our hearts that we'll be able to even come close to living this out. You don't have that, no way, no way. If it's just religion, it's just about following the rules, do you think you're going to be able to follow the rules and truly love your enemies? No way, no way, right? God's got to get a hold of you. He's got to fill you with his, with his love. What, what did loving do for him? What did loving us do for him? Nothing. He didn't get anything out of it. He didn't get any payoff out of it, right? Did it help his pop kick book? Did it help his social standing? No, he had to pay infinitely for it, right? What did it do for him psychologically? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, right? We were so lost, he had to die for us. That's one side of it. On the other side of it, we were so loved that he had to die for us. Nothing, nothing could we give to him. And yet he loved us and he did that. Right? When you see him doing that, when we truly experience that, it's dynamite. It blows our lives apart. It turns our lives upside down, right? And you see people differently. Your attitude towards people will change. Look at how broken that person is. I was broken too, right? Look at how, how that person believes. They're all messed up in their thinking. I was messed up in my thinking too. I didn't get it. Look at how hostile they are to me. I was hostile towards God too, but grace, right? Okay, direction. Uh, what difference does that make? Well, we're to be people that turn the other cheek, people that give, and we are to be people that forgive. Turn the other cheek, really? Right? Sounds like you're saying we should just let them walk all over us. Just hit me again, right? Again and again. Misinterpretation would be that, right? Would be that God wants you to be a punching bag to somebody. No, 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 no. This is, this is we serve a God of justice. He's not asking you to be a, a punching bag. This isn't even about physically being hit. This is about being insulted, right? He's not asking us to do that. But what he is saying, though, is when the time comes, when the time's right, and that person asks for forgiveness, we have to be able to turn the cheek. You see women do this, right? They'll come up to you and they'll turn, turn their cheek. They're offering you an invitation to kiss them, right? They're offering you an invitation to relationship. And that's what this is talking about. We've got to be prepared to let somebody back into our life that's hurt us. We can't hold on to the anger. We can't hold on to the bitterness. We can't hold on to the pride. We've got to turn the cheek and say, you can be restored in my relationship with me. My friends, haven't we all slapped Jesus in the face? 
Not, I'm not talking before we knew him. I'm talking about after we knew him. Do you remember Peter denying him three times? Jesus turned the cheek, right? He wasn't about shaming Peter. He wasn't about making him jump through hoops to earn his way back. He turned the cheek. He led him back, right? We can't be people that hold grudges. Look at what, look what holding grudges does to churches. He says turn the other cheek because he doesn't want us to be the type of people that slap people back, right? Like I said, that's my first response. That's what I want to do. We swing back. No, turn the other cheek means we, we don't do that. We hold back. You want to insult me? Fine. That's okay, right? I'm hoping one day we can get past this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my cheek for you, the other side of my cheek for you for when that day comes. Yeah, I might get slapped again, but that's okay. Hopefully one day we'll have our relationship with restored, right? It, it doesn't mean that we don't address the issue, right? Somebody slaps you on the cheek, address it. He's a God of justice. You should call him out on it. Hey, you wronged me, but I'm not going to hold it against you. Don't you dare be the type of person that, that lets it go. That's not loving to not correct somebody, to not hold somebody accountable. That's not, right? You let them know, but you don't hold the grudge. You don't hold on to it, right? You offer the other cheat. So we uh, oppose injustice, but without vengeance, without slapping back, without pride. We offer the other cheek. We offer that way of relationship back. We love our enemies. That doesn't mean we, we're affectionate towards them, right? It does mean that we act in their best interest, though. It, it does mean that we pray for them. We, we think of ways to help them as opposed to who our enemies are. We're thinking of ways to, to sell them out, to see them put down, right? To, to pay them back. No, that, that's not our attitude towards them. We're going to do what's in the best interest for them. Not, not look to fight them. We give, but we don't enable people. Right? When, when giving would not be in somebody's best interest, we don't do that. What love is in that? If we would just give to people and keep enabling them, we wouldn't really care about them. We act in people's best interests and our hearts are free and clear. There is no pride. There is no anything holding us back, right, from relationship with them. Let me end with, let me end with this. Are you in deficit? Like I said, man, when I quit spending time with God, when I get too busy doing church things, Right, preparing sermons, preparing Wednesday night Bible study. When I'm too busy doing all those things, I go into deficit. And my relationship with everybody around me suffers. And I guarantee you, if you don't have a quiet time, you're, you're not the best person relationship-wise. You're going to be struggling in some real key areas, right? I'm going to I'm going to look to people to see what can I get out of them. If, is that going to person, be a person I have to heavily invest in? If I don't got a lot, I am going to steer clear of that person. Right? But if I got oceans of love, oceans of grace, 
because I'm spending time at the feet of the cross, right? Time, time with the feet of the, my Savior and Lord, man. I'm going to have plenty to spare, plenty to give, plenty of that, right? If you're in deficit, you have to be married. Wives, don't look to your husband to fill your cup. It will not work. You'll be bitter. You'll be angry. If you have no quiet time, you're going to be cranky. You've got to spend time at his feet. No matter who you are, right? Your spouse will not fill you up. Your friends will not fill you up. You will look to your spouse to fill you up, but they will fall short, and then you will just grow distant from them. Spend time at his feet. My friends, listen, until you are amazed with the mercy that he gave you, until you are amazed at the mercy he gave to you, you will never be empowered to do the same. Until you are amazed by God's grace, you will have trouble sharing God's grace. Verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's the call. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Would you stand with me? You cannot do any of this. If I've said this once, all right, how many times have I said it? You cannot do any of this without time rooted in Him. That's why the Branch Life series was so important. We have to be connected to Him. If you are connected to Him, no good works will flow or you're unconnected to him. It's when we're connected to him that we bear fruit. You will not bear fruit. You cannot bear real fruit, real lasting fruit apart from him. It does not work. So you have to make a commitment, and I'm asking you this. Make a commitment to spend time with him every day. It will change your life. Read the scriptures like I showed you and say, what does this tell me about God? What do I learn about God through this? And what does this say about my life? How does it challenge me? And be honest with him. Lord, I don't want to. I'm thinking of this person who's an enemy in my life. I don't really don't like that person, right? Bring that into the light, though, and submit yourself to him. Lord, if you tell me to do this, though, you got to change my heart. Because I don't want to do this. You've got to change my heart. And over time, that softening will happen. And my friends, you have to be people that do that for other people in here. When you see somebody and they're cranky, maybe ask them, hey, are you spending time with God? How's your quiet time going, right? James, you, people used to give me Snickers in here. But that's a sign. What's your language like? If you see that, ask somebody. Do it in a loving, gracious way, right? But we have to exhort each other. It only works in community. It only works when we're kneeling down at his feet, right? That's when we experience the oceans of love. That's when we've got love to spare, love to give out, right? I'm not saying it'll be easy, but by God's grace, when we remember who we were before, he adopted us. We can see other people before they're adopted and want for them 
what we've experienced. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to see people as you see them. Would you remind each and every one of us who we were, how we were enemies of you before you adopted us? And would you help us to see people in that light? Would you help us to be reminded of how even though we were at our worst when you went to the cross, you willingly did that because you loved us. You loved us in a way that had nothing to do with profit. You unconditionally loved us. Would you put that same love in us for other people? Father, would you help us to invade our marriages? Would you help us to invade how we see our kids, how we see our friends, how we see our church family, how we see everybody, Lord? Help us not to look to people to fill our cup. Help us only to look to you. And may we make the time to be in your presence and to have that happen. Lord, would you be with our friends, Katie and Kevin? Lord, would you go with them? Lord, I love how they've grown. I've loved fellowshipping with them. And Father, I know we're going to miss them. But I know, Lord, they have an opportunity to be reunited with family. Father, I pray that you would, your blessing would be all over that. I pray that you'd watch over them safety-wise. I pray that you'd prepare the way for them. Lord, I pray for Kevin in this new job, that you would give him favor with his students. Lord, I pray that he would see himself as light with them. Lord, would you give him an amazing church family? Lord, would you help him to be salt and light to everybody that they come into contact with? And would you bring them back every once in a while? Lord, thank you for the time that we've had with these two. Lord, light them on fire. Lord, be with them in all that they do. And may they bring you glory. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.